0: Welcome to another Truth Factor discussion. Today is April 1st, and hopefully there'll be no fooling around today. I I was giving Rhonda a hard time about trying to come up with something that we could share to everybody, you know, quiver being full and stuff like that, but she said, you better not. So, no changes. Guys, how are y'all doing today? Paul, let's start with you. We haven't done this a while. in a while. Paul, tell us how your day is going today.
1: It's been a very busy day for me, uh, even though I've just been here at home. Uh, here in Indiana, uh, our governor has issued a stay-at-home order. And unless you're considered essential or are going out for some essential purpose, uh, they would prefer and in fact order us to stay at home. But there's been lots to be done here today uh, through the magic of electronics and internet, uh, sharing information and working on some Bible class material and things. And so uh, it's been a busy day, but we're doing all right. Uh, I go a little stir crazy. I'm ready to, to not be at home, but it sounds like maybe that's going to be extended for a little while longer.
0: Yeah, I think you're right about that. Well, let's stay in Indiana real quick and ask Mike how his day is going.
2: So far, so good. It's, uh, like Paul, it's been a very busy morning. Um, got a phone call last night from a good friend of mine that uh, a friend, another friend had passed away. I'll have that funeral to do Friday, and that's expressing even more of the concerns with this uh, COVID-19 virus. The funeral home is under restrictions, and so there can't be a literal funeral. There can only be just a few people in the room at the time. And even at the graveyard, they have to limit it to 10 or less. So mournful times become even more grieving times. But yet the joyful side of it is we're in communication with everybody at Orleans. Uh, everybody seems to be doing very well. Got a good report, uh, on one of our members we've been very concerned about. We're just pushing along doing the best we can.
0: That's good to hear Mike. That is good to hear. All right. Now let's fly out to, uh, Oregon. And that was a quick flight. Brian, how are things going in Oregon? Well, we're doing good. We're in the same predicament everybody else is. So, uh, but, uh, we're blessed. We're, we're doing okay. You're kind of doubly blessed though. How's, how's that? Cause you get to work daily with the favorite person in your life. I do.
3: I do. I get to share an office with them and, uh, I'm blessed. I don't know if they're blessed, but I'm blessed. So, <laughs> you know, the office will stay clean, right? that's, that's, uh,
0: I know that the office, the, that, well, uh, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go there because Ron and I were talking at some point in the future, we'd like to have a house you know, kind of large enough where we could have a dedicated office and kind of split it in two, one half hers and one half's mine. And, um, I think that could work. I'd have to clean mine up better. So well,
3: see, well, and I don't mean to imply I, I'm the problem. So basically, yeah, yeah. everything in front of the camera, this side of the camera, is just a wreck. I just pile it all right here. So if I move the camera, oh you yeah, can see, and, and then I got two dogs in here too. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, it's a real trial for yeah. Mrs. Haynes. She's really, uh, she's already asked for hazard pay for having to deal with.
0: It. <laughs> I just like there. I've got the desk over here. You can't see, and there's a reason. And there's yeah. stuff here. If it's out of view of the camera. That's where you throw everything.
3: That's exactly <laughs> what I do. Yeah.
0: Where is Tom? Let's see how Tom is doing. He's in <laughs> California. How goes it, Tom? It's going okay.
4: Uh, we're, we're hanging in there as well. So uh, I, uh, like I said, I, I'm, I'm at home. I'm, I'm kind of used to working from home. Some, <laughs> you know, uh, to that degree. So everything's going okay here.
0: All right. Well, that sounds good. That sounds good. Well, let's go ahead and get our study of Romans underway. We are going to be in Romans chapter 10 today. Paul, would you mind sharing with the folks who may be joining us for the first time how they can participate in today's study?
1: be happy to do that. Uh, We are on all kinds of social media. Uh, Maybe you're looking at YouTube and you just search for Truth Factor Live. You'll find us. We'd love for you to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when we go live. Appreciate that much. You might also take a look at Facebook, and we're also, uh, what you want to search for is Truth Factor Live, and you can follow us there. You can also see the videos that you would see on YouTube at that location, on Twitter, Truth Factor Live. We have that as well. Maybe you'd like to email us, and that's certainly an option for you. If you want to send an email to all of us, you can send it to questions at truthfactor.com. That's questions at truthfactor.com, or any one of us, just use our first name, Mike, Uh, Paul, Tom, John, Brian at truthfactor.com, and you can get to us. And so we appreciate you watching this uh, live study today. Or if you're watching at a later time, we appreciate you finding us and watching this. We're looking forward to a good study today, as Mike will lead us in Romans chapter 10.
0: Thanks, Paul. I appreciate that. That is exactly right. We're looking forward to this. So, Mike, we are about to turn it over to you. Are you ready? I'm
2: as ready as I'm going to be. (laughs) Romans chapter 10 is a very interesting chapter. It's a a rather brief chapter, but it's a very interesting and yet profound uh, chapter. Summary, I'd say that it conclusively shows that God is willing to save all of mankind. However, mankind has to do their part in believing what God has said. And so, uh, Paul, for the first nine chapters, showing both Jew and Gentile, Israel and and the rest of the world, the goodness of God and the severity of God, shows now that it's time, folks, let's come together and understand this truth. So, we'll begin reading at verse 1 and go down through verse 4. Brian, I'm going to ask, well, yeah, there's Brian. I'm going to ask if you would, please read down through verse 4, and then we'll present the chat room question and get into our discussion. You bet. I'm glad to do it. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Brethren,
3: my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes.
2: All right. Thank you, Brian. And uh, hopefully you've got a copy of this outline that you can uh, punch up the chat room question for us. But the, the chat room question through these first four verses, which righteousness is required of us to please God? Some people read down through this chapter, even down through about verse 16. And they they actually believe there's more than one type of righteousness that would please God. Well, we need to limit this. Paul did not say that. There is a particular one. And so we'll let you answer that in the chat room. Paul, let's throw uh, question number one to you if we can. The Apostle Paul's desire for Israel was that they should be saved. What hindered him from fulfilling that desire? Say that one more time, the last part. What hindered Israel from fulfilling Paul's desire of salvation? Well, he talks
1: about here that uh, many of them were very zealous in their religion, but it was not according to the knowledge of what God wanted them to do. Uh, And so uh, they really were kind of without excuse on a lot of that, because as you would look at them, uh, having studied through all those Old Testament uh, passages, uh, all the prophecies, they should have been looking for Jesus. They should have been knowing, that, that he was the way uh, that they needed to be searching for. But here, uh, that uh, zealousness is necessary, but mm-hmm. it is not enough by itself. Having that zeal, uh, you cannot uh, serve God faithfully without zeal, but that alone is not enough.
2: Well, their zeal lacked something, Paul. What did it lack?
1: You well, know, it lacked knowledge. It was not according to the knowledge uh, and, of therefore, re- and sound teaching.
2: Exactly. And therefore, rather than submitting to God, they went about to establish their own righteousness, which would have been contrary to what God had said, and therefore kept them from obeying the gospel. I appreciate your answer.
1: That's really a great point, Mike, that you make there, because uh, when we maybe are really, and there are a lot of people today who are really zealous for God, or very uh, zealous in our, our religious activities, that, that's a that's great. But when it's not according to knowledge, here he says that it's just our own righteousness. It's self righteousness. It's exactly opposed religion. Uh, so I, I think you make a really good point there.
2: Well, that and, and I thank you for that. But Tom, that's what I want you to kind of deal with for us. What is meant by this establishing their own righteousness? I appreciate that, Paul. Thank you. Sorry. That's okay. You're fine. Well, the,
4: the way I describe the ideas of establishing their own righteousness. I sometimes use the expression that people want to come to God on their own terms. (laughs) And uh, in other words, they say, I'll follow you. If you let me continue to do this. And I, you know, they're obviously not in a conversation with God, but that's basically the attitude. And from the standpoint of the Jews that they had created their own, they had created their own standard. And with that standard, they said, uh, this is what makes us righteous. Of course, They think that they're righteous in God's eyes, but in reality, it's them doing what they want to do and calling themselves righteous because they're doing what they want to do.
2: Well, and and I appreciate that. They are. They're selfish with it, and they become idolatrous That they worship themselves more than God. John, let's throw this final question in this section to you. The righteousness of God is obviously obedience to him. Would you discuss with us, please, how Christ is the end of the law for righteousness?
0: All right. That's a good question, Mike. Let me do that and that. The end of the law for righteousness. If we keep it within the context that Paul has been addressing, especially in 9, 10, and 11— the law, if I understand it right, would have been referencing the law of Moses. In right. The law of Moses was never really designed to make the people righteous. Um, I think the problem is, as you've already discussed, they turned the law into an idol in and of himself and began to worship the law rather than the lawgiver. Um, so when Jesus Christ came and died upon the cross of Calvary, he came to fulfill that which had been promised, and he was the end of the law. And with him coming and dying upon the cross of Calvary, it then brought true righteousness to those who will truly be the people of God and follow him.
2: I appreciate that. How then, uh, and, and we will just kind to throw this out to all of us, how then is it that, that the law brings the believer to the obedience of Christ and not Moses? I, I added those last two words. But how is it that, that the, the, uh, the righteousness of Christ how is it that this law brings us to that righteousness of, of him instead of Moses? What do you got to say about
0: it? Well, can I jump in? Sure. What comes to mind is what Paul said to Timothy over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, where he talks about how the Holy Scriptures had made Timothy wise into salvation. I really believe that a lot of the Holy Scriptures Paul referencing would have been the law of Moses and the Prophets, and the prophets, and of yes, course, sir. the things taught verbally. Um, If they truly followed the schoolmaster, yes, you know, sir. then that it, the old law pointed to Christ. But when they focused on the law of Moses and the the law given to God to Moses by God, then they lost sight of where it was truly pointing.
2: It, it's strange to me, and and if the rest of you want to comment on this, that that's great. I'm trying to trying to watch uh, all these notes that we're putting in our private chat over here too. It's interesting to me that the schoolmaster brought them to Christ, but they didn't like the teacher. Um, they didn't like the subject. So that they they did, as, as John well expressed, they made an idol out of the law. They made an idol out of themselves. I you've got a comment that's a wonderful comment, add that to us.
4: Yeah, uh, uh, I would also add to this that you may recall early on in the preaching and teaching of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, as we call it, Matthew 5, 17 through 19, Jesus said, do not think that I came to destroy the law. I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the Mm -hmm. law. And he goes on and he makes the point that every part of the law, every jot and every tittle, we would say crossing of the I and dotting of the T's would remain in the law until it was fulfilled. He came to fulfill it. So, I mean, uh, and, and uh, when you look at the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John, where Jesus is appealing to the old law and, and saying, you know, it testified about me. You know, look, you know, look at what Moses said. Look at what the prophets said and so on. And you'll see that I fit the mold that was actually
2: made. Well, as we'll see a little later here in the chapter, the Gentiles recognized this fact, even though they didn't have the law but we'll see that in just a minute. Brian, has anyone uh, commented on the chat question? Yeah, we do have an answer. We have an answer
3: in our Facebook chat from Jared. Uh, Jared uh, is a, a longtime listener, and Jared, we appreciate you giving us an answer on this, and it's a good one. Uh, Jared's answer is, it's following the sound doctrine and his will. So, uh, you know, right on, Jared. Uh, that Those are some important terms. Uh, that idea, sound doctrine, You know, you know, what's interesting, Jared, is not a lot of people can appreciate a lot of people who have created their own religious righteousness. They can appreciate the idea of the importance of sound doctrine. We find that Mm -hmm. in places like second John verses seven onward and, and elsewhere. So Jared, that's a good answer.
0: And Gregor has a comment.
3: I'm sorry. Somehow I missed Gregor's answer. It just popped up. Oh, it just popped up. The the righteousness of Christ. Uh, You know, one of our deacons is named Chris and a lot of times Chris gets, uh, uh, you know, brought up as a pretty righteous guy by my mistake too. So I, I'm gonna make a point to that, to Gregor. Uh, the righteousness of Christ, as we are clothed in Christ, if we follow His will. Uh, I love the idea of being clothed in Christ and appreciate that, Gregor, because that's a great way of describing the the way we walk by faith. So,
0: excellent uh, answers. I, I appreciate hey, both of them. Mike, can I jump in real quick? You, you jump in anytime. I want to. I want to make a statement. I'm not the originator of this statement. I'll take the blame for it, but I can point my finger at who in our group said it, but what brought this what brings us to mind is our discussion of how the the Jews had turned the law into an idol, something they yes. worshiped the law rather than the lawgiver. I wonder if it's possible for Christians to turn the meeting place into an idol oh or my. even the Lord's Supper? Yes, sir. With the yes. improper understanding, and we think, well, that's all that we've got to do is to go there and take the Lord's Supper, then it becomes an idol. There, I heard a story, and I don't know if it's true or not, but you know how preachers are with stories. Um, supposedly, there was a family going to the lake, swung by the building, had them to bring the Lord's Supper out during services. They partook of it, and they took off to the lake. I think in that case, the church, the building, that is, and the Lord's Supper was simply an idol that they worship rather than truly worshiping God.
2: Oh, exactly so. And you know, John, during this time of crisis, there's so many brethren in that way. Uh, I've talked to them. I've seen their posts, uh, their emails and such. This is not a time to divide up worship services. We are limited in what we can do because we cannot go to a building. But that doesn't stop us from worshiping God. That's right. That's my point. We can sing. We can pray. We can, uh, if, if you're in your home and uh, you're, you and your wife are both members of the church, there's no problem with taking a communion. That's a memorial between you and God. It's a fellowship. A lady called me the other day, said, what about my giving? And I said, well, the wife and I are putting ours in a little bowl and doing what Paul said, laying it in store, laying it by in store. These things are acts of worship. And you've got to remember that uh, while while we're not able to go to the building and gather there, somebody says, well, that's, that's government control of church and state. No, it isn't. That's right the apostle was on board ship. I'm satisfied over the Lord's day. And yet he worshiped God. You know, he's locked up in prison. He still worshiped God. So we we need to come to that understanding and that falls with this word righteousness. Righteous literally means right way. There's a right way and a wrong way. And the, the, uh, The Old Testament writer, and you guys help me out with it because I get them all mixed up at times, but uh, I believe it was Isaiah that said, and an highway shall be there, and a way, not several, but a way, it shall be called the way of holiness. Sounds like Isaiah, doesn't it? pass on there. No, No ravenous beast shall go up there on. Wayfaring man, though fool, shall go on there, but it shall be for him. In other words, if we will turn our lives to being what God said to do, there's the God's righteousness. Then we don't have That's a right. problem worshiping God. I appreciate you bringing that up, John.
0: Well, and we will, for sake of clarification, we are not saying that there's no need for the local church. We're talking about that is the scriptural order, but absolutely. You know, it's. I think Eric, uh, our, our good friend Eric, who used to be on the study with us. He replied in a post on Facebook the other day. What about a congregation of a hundred people and ninety of them are sick and only ten can go to the building? You know, how do you have a worship service then if you have to have the whole of the congregation there in one place? Yeah, you know, it's it is about us worshiping the Lord, and ideally there is a manner and method that needs to be done. But um, if you have, ten, and I don't mean to belabor the point, but if you've got two families that lives locally and you got 10 members out of the two families and you have four other families that drive 30 minutes away to services, what happens if there is some sort of gas situation where the families can't drive the 30 minutes? What do they do? If there's no local work, they worship God at home until things get back to normal. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So so kind of as a counterpoint, maybe we're, we're, we're not all on the same page on these ideas. And and I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that uh, we have to be on the same right. page, but I wouldn't want it to be something where, uh, uh, you know, there are some things I see a little differently in what mm-hmm. we've said here that I would suggest, uh, and, and maybe a lot of brethren do too. So um, rather than belabor the point, I would just say uh, different ways of looking at this. We we do have different ways of looking at this. Right. Yes,
0: yeah. that's, that's a valid point. But my point was we shouldn't turn into an idol, something that's intended... To be a part of how we worship God,
3: and and an important idea you know. is, um, I, I I absolutely agree with that statement. And sometimes I see it turning into an idol when we say, "Well, if I can't do it with the church, I've got to do it at home." Um, right. Well, and I yeah, and I think that that's a problem too. That's, that
2: makes um, it right. Idol.
3: You know, uh, that's a whole
0: other discussion.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah exactly it, it is. Right. And I can
3: say we we kind of transgressed into that area. And I just uh, more for our viewers, I wouldn't want our viewers to say, "Yeah, uh, we're all." Uh, the same place on this conversation. Well, I, there, and, there is some I, difference.
2: I agree with that, Brian, very much so. Uh, the wife and I have batted back and forth. What can you and can you not do? You know, the, the fact is, I don't like presenting sermons over the internet, I want to see the people's reaction when I'm preaching, and the rest of you, I think, feel the same way.
0: You want to yeah. hear the applause, don't you?
2: Well, that happened <laughs> at a funeral about two years ago, oh, no. but uh, never had happened before or since. But it, it, the, right. the point being, when Paul said, when you're gathered together, right, there's, there's a reason for that. And that's what I'm missing. I, I truly am missing it. But it's not preventing me from giving homage to God. That's my point. Yeah. That, that's my point. I can still honor him. I can still study his word, I can still pray, I can sing. Not very well, but I can sing. And these are things that we need to understand. And if you're listening, you can pick up the phone and call your brethren and and just ask them, how you doing? Paul mentioned it before our broadcast that they did a a sharing online through a a program where the members uh, could see each other and just discuss things, say hello. I've had people calling me in the last two weeks saying, Mike, what do you look like? We <laughs> miss each other that much. Yeah. And that's one of the problems. But I, to come back to the point of our study, that's being righteous. You can't say, well, I'm all by myself. Therefore, I'm, I'm, I'm God. I, I can please God and I can do it in my way. No, sir. That takes away from the point of this. There's a righteousness that you establish for yourself. And a righteousness that God established that you and I must follow. Yeah. It's the righteousness of God.
0: So My, now, I think Tom has one quick comment. Go ahead, and then we can. That, I'm sorry. No, you're yeah. fine.
4: I yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just going to say as we were engaged in that discussion, one of the recommendations I gave to our congregation, and uh, and I know like the debate over the Lord's Supper at home and so on. And, and I personally. Well, I won't worry about my personal feelings, but whether you partake of it or not, you can still remember the death of the Lord. If you can't partake of the emblems, why can't you at home still take a few moments, sing a song, and thank God for Jesus coming to this earth and shedding his blood and God accepting his blood?
2: Exactly so.
4: Yeah. I mean, you can do that without physically partaking of the emblems if you believe
2: it is not right to partake of those emblems exactly so exactly so Paul, oh, could I ask you please to read verses 5 through 11 of our study and then we'll get into that discussion
1: certainly uh, let me pull that up here you're saying 5 through 11 yes sir please
2: all right for
1: Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law the man who does those things shall live by them But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from heaven, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame.
2: Thank you, Paul, very much for that. The chat room question is, is this one. Does belief and confession alone save us? The reason we ask that is because through these verses, many people will just take the statement of Paul and rest on that statement alone, believing that if they believe in their heart and they make that admission with their mouth, salvation is theirs. But I believe that the text will show otherwise if we study it closely enough, And so let's, let's go to that next question. Let me turn my paper here just a bit and go to the next question in our outline. And Brian, I'm going to throw this one to you. What is this righteousness of the law? And I think we touched on that a minute, but Brian, spread that out a little bit more for us from verse five. What is this righteousness of the law? Well, so
3: there's a concept of uh, the idea of righteousness is is actually kind of a more complicated word than we might think. It's the idea of being, uh, justification comes to some of that too, the idea of how it is that we uh, stand before God without uh, accusation, without guilt. So Moses states that the, the way that that righteousness would be accomplished by his law is that you had to accomplish all of these things. So the idea here is that Moses, when he talks about the righteousness of the law, was you had to keep every single part of the law in order to be righteous by it. You could, you could be righteous by it in the sense that if you could keep all of it, Christ might be an example of that, might be the only example of that. Um, yes, sir. Well, it might be. We know he is the only example of that. So there is a righteousness of the law, but it required a total perfect keeping of the law. And so and since, that's what Moses speaks of in verse 5.
2: Since no man could do that, save Christ, then that brings us to the next question in our outline. Compare that to the righteousness, which is by faith. But Go ahead. And I just let me add to that, uh, and I don't want to jump into that next
3: question too much, but there were aspects of the law of Moses that didn't require faith. That That's true. That required no belief. Circumcision is the best example of that. Yes, sir. you were circumcised. It wasn't because you believed. it wasn't because you in fact, you're you're eight days old, you have no say so you have no implications, somebody else is making that decision for you. So that righteousness had to be accomplished by somebody else. So ironically, you're literally having to trust your righteousness to another person. And it wasn't just in circumcision in the work of the priests in their yes. offering. You got a priest that was ungodly or unfaithful. There were a lot of those. Your, your righteousness might not be delivered through the law. So you required, uh, you would have to have something else. So the system that was established of a righteousness of law was because of that human component flawed, flawed, or, you know, the Hebrew writer says, if it were not flawed, there wouldn't have been need for
2: a second one. Exactly so. So then this, this righteousness, which is by faith, it is the righteousness that says Jesus said it, I believe it, that settles it. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah.
3: I, I, and I would say, it, you know, more to the idea of what is faith, you know, and he's actually yeah. going to, in the next few verses, uh, define that idea. Faith is your hearing the word of God and your obedience to it. So it's not somebody else's obedience to it, somebody else's uh, approaching of it. And the important idea is, ironically, that even rules out those who believe that God has to act on you in a supernatural way in order to bring about your righteousness. Exactly. Uh, because so. again, that ceases to be a righteousness of faith and ironically becomes similar to a righteousness of law where you lack the uh, ability to control your uh, your pursuit of righteousness. The righteousness okay. of faith is also the idea that you personally have the ability to pursue uh, the righteousness of God, whereas the righteousness of the law meant that somebody else had to do things too, or other things had to happen that you had no control over. Exactly
2: so. So, Tom, if you, if you would, what um, while the word was near them, even in their mouth and their heart, what word and, and how did that happen?
4: Okay, well, um, I think the word that was near them uh, uh, would have been, would have been the, the teachings of the law of God. And the idea is they had been taught. they had been taught what God had said to them. And of course, I think that that's taken from uh, Deuteronomy, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. uh, deuteronomy thirty uh, and, and verse fourteen, and so on. And so the point that is being made there is uh, uh, you've you've heard the truth, uh, and uh, it's it's uh, you're able to repeat it. But he also makes the emphasis, it needs to be in your heart. You know, we sometimes, um, we sometimes make a mistake of, well, I, I would hope we don't make that mistake, but, but, but some people think that the, the, the Jews were not required to worship God with a proper attitude. They were condemned because they didn't worship God with a proper attitude from the heart. Exactly. Uh, the 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 outward the outward actions they needed to be there, but what God looked at was the motives behind the the actions. That that's what removed it from being a checkmark list. It's just under the law that we're on. Uh, and by the way, it's the same for us. I mean, we really really need to understand that, and that's the misunderstanding with our denominational brethren who teach faith only, which we're going to get into in a few minutes. Yes. But. But I mean, uh, that's, that's the misunderstanding. We're not going through some checklist of things we have to do, but that doesn't mean we don't have to do those things. The heart yes. has to be there.
2: Let me throw this out. Uh, you guys know that I left my new King James Bible down in Orleans. And so I'm back to the old King James, but I, I grew up with it. That's, that's what I have learned from, but let's out a couple of things here at verse Um, at verse 8, the word is nigh thee. New King James says it's near. Doesn't mean it's inside them, but it does mean it's near them. Even in thy mouth, they're saying it, in thy heart, some had the attitude that's right, as Tom just spoke of. That is the word of faith which we preach. Well, the word of faith becomes an important phrase here. We need to understand what that is. Faith, according to the Hebrew writer, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the very conclusion then of what the Old Testament brought us to, and that would be Christ. So that at verse nine, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, that's the emphasis of this study. There are those that will contend, it's simply the belief. Well, but the belief has to take action near them. There has to be an action upon that belief. So at verse 10, with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. Look at the pronoun. It's not into, it's unto righteousness. And with the heart or with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Not into, but unto. Then if you look at Galatians 3 and verse 27, you find a different preposition that helps us know where we need to be. For as many as you as have been baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. So now, is not Paul saying in verses 8, 9, and 10, and that's the discussion for us all now, is he not saying in verses 8, 9, and 10, It's one thing to say it, but now you have to prove it because of verse 11. The scripture says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Does that not indicate to us that it's not simply a matter of believing in our minds and telling people, yeah, that's my conviction. It's a matter of proving it by obedience. What do you
0: say, fellas? Well, I agree for the most part. Most part. (laughs) I want to to suggest something for us to think about. And I agree with everything you said. I really do. And the comments in the chat room will work well for the question and everything. But why don't we add one thing to everything that we're saying? We oftentimes view these passages as first principles. In order to become a Christian, you have to do this. You have to confess with your mouth and believe. But I would suggest that the two th- what he's talking about here is for Christians every single day of our lives. That believing in confession unto salvation is the daily life of a Christian. Yes, um, sir. It's not a one-time... Sure, obviously, we have to be convicted enough to tell others we believe in Christ if we're going to be baptized into Christ. But the way he's talking about it here, this is an ongoing process.
2: John, I've often preached this, that we confess Christ before we're immersed, then according to Paul to the church at Philippi, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, that's twice. But the question is, are those two times enough? And it isn't. That's right. You're you're right. It must be a daily admission of what we say and do, Colossians 3.16
0: i know i know paul is talking about this to try to get israel to turn i recognize the first principle application but i think it's more than that yeah i agree yeah well yeah, i thought i out that
2: that that'll show in the in the chat room i think brian do we have answers there go ahead we, we have uh, several let me
3: just uh first Let's grab the one in uh, Facebook just to throw up uh, Jared Dart's comment there first. Okay. So in Facebook, uh, Jared also throws out the idea. He says, you need help from the brethren as well. So Jared, a good answer. Uh, we're not often like to say Christianity is a team sport. We, uh, uh, <laughs> we don't get to heaven on our own. We have to uh, bear one another's burdens to fulfill the law of Christ, which is the, uh, the righteousness of faith, we might say. So Jared, that's a great answer. I appreciate that. Got a couple of answers in our chat uh, over in uh, YouTube. So we'll start off, uh, Grant Haynes gave us a couple of them. So let's grab those first. Uh, Grant says the following, belief and confession are only part of salvation. Repentance, uh, Acts 2 and verse 38, and baptism, 1 Peter 3, 21, are also necessary elements. So grab, uh, Grant grabs in there some of the other things that we see tied to right. that yeah. moment of change that brings somebody to righteousness. Now, then, Grant adds a little more to it to say in Second John one and verse six, and this is love that we that we walk according to His commandments. We cannot pick, cherry pick God's word and choose which commandments we want to follow. So, in other words, if somebody says, as you know, kind of going to your question there, uh, belief and confession alone saves us. If somebody said that, they they'd be guilty of not loving God, of not loving His commandments, and instead just loving particular commandments alone. Exactly. And, uh, you know, if I said, I love the, the, the son and the Holy spirit, but not the father, that would be, you know, that would be blasphemous. And yet, if I said, I love Romans 10, nine and not Acts two 38, then, you know, that, that also would have the same problem. We have another answer from Gregor and Gregor gave us a really kind of a, a spin on this for a second, uh, to your question. He says, yes, uh, belief, uh, confession, uh, alone do save us, but he's, But he's playing with us. He says, your definition of belief in faith, because James 2.14 talks about the idea that uh, faith without works is dead. So believing alone, in other words, doing nothing with that belief, which includes confession, repentance, baptism, of course, uh, that that's not actually faith. If we do not follow God's will, um, I just lost that. Uh, If we do not follow God's will, you do not believe based on results. Sins are forgiven by faith. We're baptized because of faith. So, uh, Gregor, I, I like your little twist on that because yes, Gregor, right. uh, You know, in a way, we are saved by faith alone. If we understand that faith is the concept of obedience to God, and there's multiple things we have to do. So that's, uh, that's you know that obedience. So so good answer, guys. An Thank you very much.
2: Marvelous question or marvelous answer. Marvelous. Thank you, Gregor, for that. Well, for time's sake, let's keep pressing on. Uh, Tom, I'm going to ask you to please read verses 12 through 16, and uh, we'll get through this rather quickly if we can.
4: Okay, uh, we find here it says, uh, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes
2: by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Thank you, Tom. While we're with you, Tom, uh, let's let's share the chat question, and then we'll come right back to you. Why is there now no difference between Jew and Greek? Now, that may sound like a very simplistic question, but there's a good reason why I ask it, and it's in this context here. Tom, I'm going to throw this first question at you. At verse 13, how do we know this calling means hear, believe, repent, confess, and be immersed? And thanks to Gregor, you pretty well answered it, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, well, uh, uh, it, it's actually an interesting
4: statement. And, and I, would, I would turn to, among other things, Acts 22 and verse 16, where, where Paul, who wrote this letter, by the way, recounts his conversion. And he talks about how Ananias said to him, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You could also go to Acts 2, where the expression is used, quoting from Joel, as it is here, and, uh, uh, and uh, uh, noting the response of the uh, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 39 through 40, where 3,000 were baptized that day, uh, being told that that's what they needed to do. So it's obviously tied to it. And I, I honestly think, and I'm just going to mention this because you're going to get into it. I think this text actually kind of points towards it when you look at the pro, when you look at the reverse progression,
2: starting with verse number fourteen. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. So Paul, let's go to verses fourteen and fifteen. Those usually quoted about gospel preachers only, but is it not the case that all Christians are amenable to these verses? Hello, Paul.
1: Uh, repeat your question, please.
2: Okay.
4: Verse
2: I had a
1: little bit of noise going on here.
2: Well, that's all right. And and Bentley is welcome to join us. Uh, <laughs> verses 14 and 15 are usually quoted about the gospel preacher. But is it not the case that all Christians are really amenable to it?
1: Oh, yes. And, and I, I like to joke about the how beautiful are the feet yes but but in reality what i believe what it's saying is that the the uh when someone brings to you a gospel message of truth uh, whether that's a preacher an elder uh, a bible class teacher or a friend when they bring to you a message of truth uh then uh, they are bringing forth something that is uh it's a beautiful uh thing for them to come and to be with you uh,
2: absolutely is absolutely is and it, it, I, I keep telling you guys meeting like this and bible study like this so encouraging at least to me it it, it kind of recharges your batteries and i believe that's what paul's saying here since there was no difference between jew and greek and since the need for this calling had to be proclaimed as it was said to isaiah How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? Somebody's got to proclaim it. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? These are individuals that once we've been baptized need to understand something. Paul, I think you, you, I know you'd agree with me. That hereafter we've been baptized, we're to teach others to do the same thing so that it becomes a hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, teach those that have been baptized to go and do the same thing. We've yeah, I got. Like, attention
1: here. I, I like 2 Timothy two two on that, uh, yes. where, it talk, where it talks about that the things that have been committed to you among faithful men, uh, things have been committed to you that you've taught to faithful men, commit those to others. I'm butchering that passage, but you get that the they idea. They may
2: teach others also.
1: It, it is uh, the, the growth that takes place there. That you have someone teach you, you teach someone else, and all those other people you teach, they're teaching someone as well. And I really yes. think that's the Christians' commission. Uh, great commission certainly was given to the apostles; they did a great job with that. We are heirs of that, but it's really described well in Second Timothy two two of uh, what uh, the individual Christian is to be doing uh, and in teaching others who can teach others also.
2: You're exactly right, Paul. Now, John, I'm going to throw a kind of a twisty question to you, but you've got the, the the tools to let us see it. Isaiah 6, God called Isaiah to go forth to the people and speak and take his word to them. And yet Paul speaks and, and records from Isaiah chapter 53 here at verse 16. Can you give us a comparison and a reason on all this? How that Isaiah, uh, the Lord said, "Who shall I send?" Isaiah says, "Here am I, send me." And then in chapter fifty-three, it is simply saying, "I'm going to go forth. I've got this to do." Could you help us with that?
0: And the question has to do with Paul's usage. Of yes. That? Yes. Well, it, it is. It is when you stop and think about the message that Isaiah. Was trying to convey to the people ultimately was one, they needed to turn and follow God. Um, hence, you know, kind of his expression, Lord, who has believed our report. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the prophets, oftentimes, they were the ones that carried the message. And, and what is funny about this is the prophets would carry both a negative message and a positive message, kind of harken back to Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, Mount of Blessing, Mount of Cursing. And so when the prophet was able to bring a good message from God, then it would be good for the people and hence he had beautiful feet. And when we were talking about that, I wondered how, what did the feet of the prophet who brought bad news look like? Yeah, <laughs> you know. But the, the point is though, in Isaiah 53, Isaiah is talking about the suffering servant. And ultimately what's going to be done is the Lord is going to be that suffering servant. So now we're back to the text here in hand. And so here we have the situation where um, the apostle Paul is now saying that those who bring this message, this gospel of peace, this good news, then they are the ones who are in the same shoes as Elijah was, not Elijah, Isaiah was. Isaiah carried a message of salvation, both or looking, and present day, Paul carries the salvation foretold by Isaiah, and it is eternal if people will listen to it.
2: Is I thank that, you for
0: that. Go is that ahead. the answer you're looking for?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. The The fact that Isaiah was very willing to go to the people when he said, Lord, here am I, send me. Yeah, And in chapter 53 saying, Paul believed our report. And yet he goes on in that 53rd chapter to say that the one that does come will be crucified and you'll yeah. still reject him. So we've got the same thing going on today. Let's, let's go on back now to the chat question, if we would, Brian. Why, why is there now then no difference between Israel and the Greeks? You know, we actually didn't get an answer for that. Um, and
3: uh, so uh, I haven't got anything to share with you there, Mike. All right, go ahead and answer it yourself if you want to. All right, to. well, so the, the distinction here is that uh, it says very aptly in Ephesians chapter 2 that when Christ died, oh, I'm sorry, Gregor gave just just put an answer in for us. So uh, let me jump okay. back to YouTube chat. Gregor, thanks for getting that to me. Uh, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, God wants all to be saved. Under the law of Moses, God held Israel as his guide, uh, and he gives us there Isaiah 60 verse 3, Christ gives all mankind that commission in the New Testament.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Well, with just a very few minutes remaining, uh, Brian, if you would please finish out reading the chapter 4 from verse 17 onward. Okay.
3: So verse 17, Romans chapter 10. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I'll provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary
2: people. Thank you for that, Brian. In the chat room, we're gonna place this question. How long-lasting is God's love toward man? There's no question but what the close of this chapter proves to us that God deeply cares. He is a loving God that wants us to be saved. And notice that he doesn't stretch out his hand to, uh, to a righteous people. He stretches out his hand to a disobedient and gainsaying people, saying, in essence, you can still be saved if you will obey me. So let's go to the first question. I'm going to throw this one back to Paul, if he's ready there. I'm ready. Uh, <laughs> all righty. All righty. You can let Bentley help you. I've been reading your notes. That's fine. We got we no problem there. Duh, uh, how does one obtain this faith at verse 17? And you might go ahead and define it for us.
1: Uh, faith uh, that, that is found there is that when we not only come to believe in God, but that we believe God, we believe his promises, we believe what he said, uh, and we believe it so much that we do it. Uh, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, it's that uh, confidence we put in that gospel message, the evidence behind it, who it stands for. And so uh, and sometimes we're like the uh, the disciples and we say, Lord, increase our faith. And maybe we need to be more in the word uh, so that we have that increased faith and we come to know and believe and, and practice those things
2: more fully. I appreciate that. During our so-called downtime, I've encouraged people that instead of reading novels and magazines and watching the news and getting more depressed, pick up your Bible and add to your faith. And uh, a lady called me the other day, she said, I've gone through several books of the Bible now and read them all, and I appreciate that. I, I very much do. Simply because the gospel of Christ is preached, though, does not mean all the world will be saved. Why not, Tom? Well,
4: uh, well, uh, because not all are going to hear, not all are going to believe. And I mean, that's kind of the point that Paul's getting at here, and he's going to get into it in the next chapter as well. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, <laughs> not all Jews are going to be saved, contrary to what they thought. Uh, You know, or contrary to the arrogance of some of them, at least you know, from the standpoint of of, it's an automatic ticket. uh, uh, Not all are willing to hear. Not all. Not all all are willing to believe. Therefore, not all will be saved. Oh, and I might add to that, not all are willing to call
2: on the name of the Lord the way that God says to do it. Exactly so. So now, John, notice that the Gentiles end up influencing Israel regarding faith. Tell me how.
0: Okay. You want us to go into chapter 11?
2: <laughs> no, I <not> did <yet.
0: laughs>
2: uh, No, he, he tells us here a little bit about it.
0: Yeah, he does. There in verse 21, um, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient contrary people. Oh, verse 20, I was found by those who did not seek me and I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. So yes. That's it. Yeah. Um, so the question is how? Yeah. Okay. So what is interesting about the conversion of the Gentiles, it was the people that the Jews would have rejected. And, and oftentimes we think about Cornelius being the first Gentile, and, and he, he was in effect. But no, don't forget the Samaritans that Philip taught. Okay, they, they weren't technically Gentiles in that they were descended from the Jews, but they were worse than Gentiles in the eyes well, of and the Well, in Jews.
2: Acts 2, it talks about proselytes.
0: Yeah, that's right. Proselytes as well. Um, but, when the, but when the Jews obeyed the gospel, it was a sign to the Jews that the Lord was looking somewhere else at another people. And when we get into chapter 11, it talks about provoking the Jews to jealousy and hope that they might come back. But it would cause, hopefully, the Jewish people to stop and think, now, wait a minute. If the Gentiles are able to understand this and follow it, then maybe we need to look at it because the manifest, the manifest wisdom of God is being extended to them and not to us. And we should now follow that path.
2: Well, then that'll lead us to the last question for this study. Does God still extend his arm and his hands toward the disobedient and gainsaying people? And that's really a very simple question. Yes. He's not going to give up. And that's accomplished by ones like you see on this panel and others that are very faithful to the word of God it's accomplished by us telling people here's what you must do to be saved. So Brian uh let you close it with the, with any comments that may have come in on how long lasting is God's love toward us.
3: We got a few comments on that. Uh first of all, we got Jared uh, Dart in our chat room. Jared says God's love is everlasting. And uh Jared, that's the answer we're looking for. And then Grant threw us a verse there in our YouTube ta- chat that, that kind of uh, answers that same point that his Psalm thirty one thirty six his steadfast love endures forever the course of that psalm so uh, that's exactly right guys that's the answer
2: well I thank all of you for the study uh, I I'm sorry I didn't get the outline out to you but you did a good job fellows by answering questions certainly appreciate the comments in the chat room and and those answers it, it this is God's way wants mankind to be saved and if i was to point anybody chapter to prove that god still cares it'd be this chapter john i'll let you close us out
0: mike i appreciate you guiding the study and i agree completely the message seen in romans 10 is for all to be saved um there's a lot we could talk about that time does not permit in our discussion um but an individual who's lost needs to be willing to turn to God. Call upon the Lord. It's not about calling upon his name per se, but about seeking help from him. And then you have to listen to his answer. Um, one thing I thought I'll point out real quick, when it talks about faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. During the first century, much of the teaching that was done would have been oral um, because the written New Testament letters were in the process of being developed and written and so forth. So I would suggest that the word of God is intended first to be heard. You know, Mike talks about people reading the scriptures, and I think reading the scriptures are a good thing. Don't misunderstand me. Yeah. The word of God is intended to be learned through being heard. That means we means listen we to teachers. To exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks again, Mike. I appreciate you're your leading us. And any other final thoughts from anyone else? Yeah. If- Go ahead. Say,
1: uh, John, if you have just a moment.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: we pointed out today, and I think there's some other ways in which we could point this out, that uh, during this time that many, um, in fact, probably most who are watching this, uh, are in some form quarantined or being asked to not be out in public, uh, that there are many good things you can find to do. There are acts of kindness and service that you can do. There, There is a drawing closer to God and studying his word and being maybe more diligent in prayer. And I'm not saying you just do it because you happen to have time, but but here's a time that that you had not scheduled, you not planned, and instead of just being uh, down and depressed or or, uh, upset or unhappy about that uh, or uh, frustrated uh, over whatever it is and thinking about all the things you cannot do, uh, I'd call upon our listeners to find things they can do uh, to be more spiritually strong, to be encouraged, and to help others through this time.
0: Paul, I appreciate that so much. Very good comment. Uh, Brian, you got any final words? Nothing that good. Okay. <laughs> and Tom, anything else? No. Uh, you,
4: know, uh, uh, you know, think about this. Talks about whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved and so on. And uh, we can, uh, well, uh, you know, even in these times, we can still serve God. that's That's right that's kind of something that comes to my mind and and uh that didn't really come out right you know in making that observation because i believe the calling on the name of the lord goes further than uh matter of fact it's it's based on somebody who already believes so it's not believing it's beyond that and so on but but in in these times we can continue to uh, god's there
2: don't
0: forget all right and mike any final thoughts
2: No, I I appreciate the study very much today. And we just, as Paul did, just encourage people to keep on keeping on. This quarantine doesn't mean you can't praise God. So get to doing it in all righteous ways.
0: That's right. All righty. Well, thank you for joining us for our study. Next Wednesday, we will be considering Romans chapter 11, finishing up the three chapter mini series that Paul squeezes into his letter to the church at Rome. And it's a very good chapter to consider. So we'll definitely, um, we're going to see olive trees, wild olive branches, and branches being cut off and grafted in and being cut off again. It's it's very it's a horticulturalist nightmare, maybe. I don't know. So but that'll be next Wednesday at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time.
1: And if you're in the Eastern Time Zone in the United States, that'll be at noon.
3: 9 a.m. on the Pacific Coast. 10 a.m. Mountain
0: Time. That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.